Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online in our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Good morning. Well, the microphone works, all right. Um, first, uh, I thank you to Reverend Adrian and this session for the honor of preaching here today. And uh, thank you to my friend and fellow elder, Dimitri Moise, who powerfully asked us last week to live into our full selves intentionally in a great sermon. Thank you all for being here today, especially thank you to my wife, my inspiration, Stephanie Jones, um, and my daughter, Jillian, who's here. And I want to say a happy Labor Day to everyone, both in person and everyone who's there virtually. Happy Labor Day to all of those who labor in every way. The problem with preaching uh, once a year about is that I always have way too much to say. Um, I talk a lot anyway, but instead of doing three sermons that I thought about for today, I'm only going to do one, I promise. Uh, So let's start with a prayer. Dear Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know all of us like we cannot even imagine. Let the words of my mouth and the collective thoughts of all of us here today, thoughts which you already know, Lord, be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So last week, my usual spot is right over there behind the camera. I picked up a pew Bible one more time to read the passage on, I'm preaching about today while I was in church. And the Bible opened itself right to Psalm 139. It was a little freaky. It was, I mean, it was kind of like Twilight Zone freaky. Do, 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 you know. And, and when that kind of stuff happens, for me anyway, I know it's just my dad who died in 2009 saying hello to me. How do I know that he was saying hello? Well, my father, Reverend Carl Dudley, was very sick with amyloidosis in 2009, and during that time he became fascinated with Psalm 139, especially as the disease ravaged his body. So fascinated, in fact, that he ended up writing a reflection on this psalm along together with his Orthodox Jewish doctor, as they worked together, read, and discussed the meaning of the psalm together, looking at the Hebrew and what several Old Testament scholars that they knew said and commented on with him and with them. You know that song in Hamilton, how do you write like you're running out of time? Well, my dad was like that. 17 books later, even to his deathbed, when he was running out of time, he was still writing. So when Adrian asked if I were available to preach on September 4th, and I said yes, not knowing what the scripture was, I looked it up in the lectionary. When I looked it up, of course, Psalm 139. Hello, Pop. Are you still writing? Even as you are listening to this sermon today, Patty told me it was okay to cry, so if I start crying, you know, stay with me. And since since I have preached in this very pulpit two or three times with my father, It makes it even more special. All right, Pop, I guess I'm still preaching with you right here, right now. Let's go. 
There's no secret why Psalm 139 is many people's favorite psalm. It was Howard Thurman's favorite. This psalm was read by a friend of this church, Marvin Chandler, at Howard Thurman's memorial when he died in 1981. Psalm 139 is about, as Maddie read it so beautifully, is about God knowing us in every way. It's God's omnipresence in every aspect of our lives. And no matter what God finds in us, in the deep, as Howard Thurman would say, in the deep that is all of us, God still doesn't abandon us. God is still there, always with us when we wake up and when we lie down. So let's do a little deeper dive, shall we, in the memory of Howard Thurman and Reverend Carl Dudley. There are thousands of commentaries and sermons about Psalm 139, and we could do a sermon on almost every verse in this psalm. I encourage you, I was going to say, I encourage you to find it in your pew Bibles. And uh, there's, a, there's an election joke coming here. We have red Bibles and we have blue Bibles. And, and that's, just my, that's just my joke. Y'all better be voting and telling everybody you know to vote in November, okay? So everybody everywhere needs to be voting this November. Um, but it is in your bulletin too, so you can read along as, as, uh, as I'm talking about it. Let's look at the psalm as a whole first. You'll notice that the psalm has four sections, or to use the fancy word, four strophes. I guess that's the Greek word for what the Greek choruses used to call in their odes. They had strophes, sections of their odes, these poems. Notice the first section is verses 1 to 6. It's focused on you, talking about God. You have searched me. You have known me. You discern me. The second section switches a little bit. 7 to 12, it focuses on the I. Where can I flee? Where can I go if I go up, if I settle? So there's a shift from the you to the I, but it's always about the relationship between God and me and I and the psalmist. And all three of the first three sections praise God for his comprehensive understanding of the person writing it, the fullness of God's presence in the world and God's power as the creator. Now the final section, beginning in verse 19, shifts in both focus and tenor. The poetic language of praise and confession in the first three sections, it abruptly ends in verse 18 and is followed by more ominous language in the final section. I do think it's important to read the whole thing. You can't leave out the God's enemies part. A lot of times in church, we just read 1 to 18. You got to read the whole thing. There's, much, there's so much in this psalm, but today I'm only going to ask you to focus on three things. First, the poetry of this psalm, the poetry of it. Second, what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And third, in the last section, which, which is when the psalmist is asking for God's help to hate God's enemies. Yeah, that's the part that often gets left out because the rest is so beautiful. But we need to talk a little bit about that too. First, the poetry. When we are diving into Psalm 139, you have to, have to break out your literary and poetic lens to read it, to really feel it. As writer Elizabeth Grasham has said, preaching Psalm 139 demands an open heart of the poet. Psalm 139 is poetry, and every time a poem is read, it happens, it comes alive. Tokyo-based culture writer Tu Huang Ha, in her essay, What Happens When We Read Poetry, says it beautifully. Rather than a static item on the printed page, a poem is an event that happens when each new reader and with each new reading. 
Psalm 139 is poetry. It comes to life. It can't be read or preached the same way twice. Psalm 139 is a poetic event that changes with every reader every time it is read. It is that powerful. Think about it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? That would come across very differently for someone who's been harassed or stalked as opposed to someone who's been abandoned by their family. The poetry lives in different ways. It hits differently. Clearly, my dad, who was sick in the hospital, read this psalm in an entirely different way as his disease racked his body. Think about how verse 15 lands on you when you're sick. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. So first, we need to appreciate the poetry and the bring-it-to-life poetic power of this psalm every time it is read. It speaks to us because, as the psalmist said, God has searched us and known us. And because God knows us, God meets us right where we are in different ways. Janet Bell told me last week how she had become the de facto chaplain of the hospital when her husband was in the hospital because so many people wanted her to read this psalm to her. They wanted her to read this psalm when she was there visiting and reading it with Derek. It's easy to see why. Listen again. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You can see why a mystical man like Howard Thurman would love this psalm. The poetry here is mystical. But let's get back to, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. These verses remind me of two miraculous moments when I have felt the existence of God. Think of the moments in your lives when you have known of God's existence. I mean, really known it, really felt it. Hopefully everybody here has had those moments where you know that God exists. When was that? Well, for me, it was seeing my daughter's heartbeat for the first time on a sonogram monitor and thinking about the first moment that that cell in her fetus body, not even a fetus yet, had started its electrical activity way before the heart is actually formed, when that cell gets electrically, it kicks in and starts pumping for the next 60 or 80 or hopefully 90 or 100 years, how could that happen? It was you, God, who created my inward parts. The second proof for me of God's existence was watching my daughter take her first breath after being born. How do we as humans do that? How do we go from living and growing in amniotic fluid for nine months and then automatically switch to breathing air? It's miraculous. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And beyond just showing, but beyond just showing God's existence, being fearfully and wonderfully made is a powerful testament to self-worth. Think about this part of it. To self-worth for all of us. Everyone here, all of you, all of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lady Gaga understands this psalm when she sings her mega hit anthem, Born This Way. 
And there are 250 million views on YouTube, by the way. So obviously, people know this. Here's the chorus. Because he, capital H for God, made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track. Come on, choir. Come on, choir. You got to help me out. I was born this way. You were all born this way. It's a miracle. Remember, whenever we feel we're not enough and we are not seeing ourselves the way God sees us, we are not seeing ourselves as God's divine creation. Believe and know that you are born this way, miraculously and wonderfully made. But what, what, does, what does fearfully and wonderfully made even mean? The word wonderfully in Hebrew is pala, which means to be distinct, to be unique. It means God made you to be special. There is no one like you. You are the only one of you that God has ever made. But this verse also says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully used in the passage of Scripture is the Hebrew word yare, which means the same, which is the same word the Bible uses which, when it refers to having fear of the Lord, which means having respect and reverence of God. So when we say, oh, the old time sayings, right? He's a God-fearing man. Well, that's what we're talking about here, God respecting. So just like the psalmist, we need to stand in awe and respect of how mighty God is. And, when we, and we praise God because God is worthy of our praise. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Lord, I praise you completely because I am in reverence and awe of how uniquely you made me. It sounds a little bit selfish, right? Lord, in other words, how great is your work? Except your work is me. Therefore, how great am I? But like Lady Gaga said, baby, I was born this way. Remember, though, I am only great. You are only great because of the greatness of God that makes you great. In the same way, I am only wonderful because of God's wonderfulness makes me wonderful. Every single person here and watching me right now is a masterpiece of God and the universe. Think about it. There's almost 8 billion people on the planet, and there's no one else with your fingerprint. No one else with your retina scan. No one. You are unique, an original design. You are the only one that exists or will ever exist. What's important? It's because God is worthy of respect that we are respectfully made. It is because God is worthy of reverence that we are made in reverence. We are all made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully. And importantly, I would add in this time, right now, when all of the groups, if you read the Lady Gaga lyrics, which is really important here, all of the groups that Lady Gaga calls out in Born This Way that she actually lists in her song in 2011 are now under physical, verbal, mental, and virtual attack. Respecting God's creation means that all of us need to be actively supporting the rights of trans people, of black people, of Asian people, of differently abled people, just to live their lives as their full selves, since everyone, everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made, just as you are and I am. So. We've done the poetry, 
And we've talked about being fearfully and wonderfully made. What about that last section, the one that doesn't quite fit with the poetry of the rest of the psalm? Let's go back to my father in the hospital. My dad moved from Hartford Hospital to the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston to be with one of the world's specialists in his disease, amyloidosis, which is the overproduction of a protein, and it hardens your internal or sometimes external organs, your skin. It can be, it's a pretty nasty disease. So Dr. Rodney Falk was his doctor. And my sister, Rebecca, Reverend Rebecca Dudley, suggested one, Psalm 139 to my father, and she and I gently encouraged, that was hard to do with my dad, gently encouraged my father to follow the psalm and sit down more and rise up accompanied by the Lord, but, you know, more, more let's say, less often, so he wasn't exerting too much energy. Um, Dr. Falk heard about our discussion, and he interjected that our translation for sit down and rise up was too much like the modern Hebrew. Turned out local scholars on the spot to demonstrate that when I sit down, the word yashab, it actually means it has a fuller meaning. When I withdraw to my shelter, and when I rise up, kum, the word, actually is more akin to when I prepare for battle with my enemy. As my dad described it in his hospital bed writing, this very personal and highly energized discussion, that was an understatement, he was energized, led to, did, led to the understanding that being in safe shelter with your family is much better than just sitting down. And it is also better to rise up in order to fight his disease, the disease, rather than just accepting your fate. My dad then reached out to his, old, his colleague, an Old Testament scholar, Ted Campbell, who liked Dr. Falk's translation and added that the word for knowing, the one at the beginning, thou hast searched me and known me, the word for knowing in the first line of the psalm actually is derived from the word covenant, a much more ample kind of knowing. You know how in Spanish there's saber and conocer, right? There's like different, different ways, different verbs for knowing, right? Well, this, was a, this is a kind of a knowing that's way beyond... Um, it's a knowing that's an intimate relationship and mutual commitment. It's not just knowing technical or information about somebody. It's a relationship. It's a commitment. That the kind of knowing that thou hast searched me and known me is. And Dr. Campbell also noted that the words for enemy, oyebin, later in the text, is not just enemy warriors of another nation, but anything that disturbs the peace or wholeness of the community or individual life, like an illness. My dad, I think, was looking for permission to, to have this psalm be, allow him to fight the illness, right? And that was disturbing his own internal community. So this is how I can't stop preaching with, with, with my father. He's kind of right here next to me right now. His study of this psalm from his hospital bed yielded, as he wrote, three new layers of meaning. First, the medical prescription for resting and rising with the Lord. Second, retreating to the shelter of love and family, and then putting on our armor to fight this disease with medical help. And third, since knowing God in this case is a communal commitment, together, together, all of us, all of our Brooklyn community, all of the United States, we need to fight in common cause. Just as my dad put it, like Barack Obama, you remember he was writing in 2009, um, as a community organizing strategy, since he sees problems in the community and like illness. He sees problems not as personal enemies, but he works to create communi communities to fight against them. It has to be all of us that are fighting against the, the, you know, the enemies of God. 
The hospital study my dad did provided, provides a whole new take on the last section of the psalm. Listen again, because it's kind of like, it definitely is a big shift. If only you, God, would, would slay the wicked away from me who are who the bloodthirsty. Speak, they speak to you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you? Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. That was from a little bit different translation, but you get the idea. Who do we count as the enemies of God? It's a tough question. Because, you know, the other side's claiming I'm the enemy of God. Like Dimitri talked about last week, God does not like those haughty, false prophets that misuse God's name and speak against God's creation, those that God has wonderfully made. And yes, the enemy can be a disease which disrupts an individual or a community. Anybody say COVID? And we need to support each other to fight both the disease and those who misuse God's name. Finally, as we revel in the poetic life-giving event that is this Psalm 139, and as we celebrate the fact that we are all fearfully and wonderfully born this way, and as we work together as a community to support each other doing God's work against God's enemies, we ask, as the psalmist does, please search me, search all of us, know our hearts, Test us and know our thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting as you order our steps to do your blessed will. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.